You're listening to RIA Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RIAradio.com. I wanted to touch a little bit on the whole Matt Faircloth thing. Like, how has he influenced you, and how did that relationship start? I think I saw him on an online podcast, and then I realized that he was really right around the corner from me, right? He lives maybe about, let's say, 30 minutes from where I am, and he's been okay. active in the Philadelphia area. He's been active in the you know closer parts of New Jersey area. Um. So I ended up joining his mastermind after watching a few of his episodes. And, you know, he, you know, basically when he tells me to do something, I end up doing it and it ends up working out. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you go on that track record alone, then, you know, think things where there's still, you know, a couple of things I need to do, you know, he, that he told me to do. And I'm probably, you know, continuing to work on them right now. Um, yep. But, you know, the guy's on point, right? The guy's on point. He's had, you know, a good deal of success. You know, he, like I said, he's been active in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and he's, you know, he's got a portfolio spun up, spun up in the Carolinas and I believe in uh, Kentucky. So they've got, you know, a good number of doors between those two markets. Now, are you, are you paying for his mentorship or is this just him being a friend and reaching out? Right. Yeah. So I did pay for that uh, mastermind that, you know, I joined a couple of years ago with him, um, not paying for anything with him now. Um, yeah. I'm actually involved with another mastermind now uh, with some folks out of the Carolinas who what, what impressed me about them is uh, that they were doing deals even as the market was slowing down. Right. So what, what, now what group is that? That's a. Uh, what is what's it called? It's uh, Tim Vest and Tim Vitali. Um, okay. Is making moves mastermind? That's what it is. Making moves. Making moves. Yep. And you know, right. Tim Tim Vitali. Tim Vitali does a lot of the uh, the underwriting, and he's like an underwriting whiz. And Tim Vest is the guy who goes out and uh, you know beat, beats the street, talks to the brokers, and that kind of thing. And it, one thing. Me and Tim Vest have in common is that he he's he's I think he's a former Wells Fargo employee as well. And, uh, you know, he decided I think he decided on his own volition. So now how has these masterminds helped you grow? I mean, do you attribute all your growth to these? I mean, because a lot of the super successful people we talk to, they, they invest a ton of money into masterminds and going to these conferences. I mean, how has that played a role in, in what you do and your investing? I guess I'm cautious about masterminds, right? Because because it's true, you, you end up spending a lot of money in masterminds, and you know each each mastermind is different. Let's put it that way. Each mastermind is different. Um, the key thing is though, you have to take action on what you're learning in the mastermind. So if you learn something, you have to use it. Like Tim Vitale says, you know, you have to get back. He, he wants me to get back out to Omaha, which is what the same thing Matt Faircloth told me, you know, as soon as, you know, as soon as Matt, um, Omaha got to the top of the list, he said, get on the plane, go to Omaha. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, you know, I was on my, on a plane, you know, first trip to Omaha. 
Uh, now, you know, Tim Vitale, he's saying, you know, take another trip out to Omaha, get to, get to know more people there. Just, because, you know, you, you guys know the market. I'm not finding deals and you guys might be struggling to find deals too. So, you know, by knowing more people in the market, as I described a little bit earlier, you know, maybe a deal might pop up that might not ever otherwise pop up. Right. So, you know, you guys might see me out there in the next few weeks. Who knows? Before it gets cold, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you got you to get some time before. That. When's that going to be? Because like you just never freaking know here. It's like, oh, you plan and then all of a sudden it's 30 below. Well, I think last year, I think it was December. We we're still getting like. 60 degree weather at some days here. yeah until like right around christmas yeah. and then, then it, yeah then we got smoked <laughs> yeah last year was so, nice we were out there for thanksgiving last year me and my wife came out and we stayed with our friends out there whose families out there and the day we arrived it was freezing and then but the next days after that the temperature warmed up and it was kind of nice but the first day there i was like oh my god i, I can't live here in the winter <laughs> Well, coming from Philadelphia, that's shocking. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, Tony, what? Um, now you you obviously you've connected with Matt Faircloth, who is kind of known for uh, raising capital. That's kind of his his uh, niche within the real estate space, and he's been able to you know put put the money he raised into syndications, primarily multifamily, unless that's changed recent recently. Sounds like you you kind of started with singles, duplex, small multifamily. Has anything changed with that? Is that still your kind of primary target or those type of assets? Or talk to us maybe about moving forward over, say, the next five years. What do you what what types of properties are you looking for and how concentrated in, say, like Omaha versus other locations are you going to be? Right. So it's kind of like the, I have the same goal that I have, I guess, when I first came out to Omaha. I would like to get something, you know, at least 12 doors, you know, hopefully larger than that, maybe like 12 to 40. Uh to try to get an asset that's a little bit larger, you know, take advantage of the economies of scale that you can get in property management, you know, less maintenance, you know, overall, because, you know, there's only, you know, there, there's four common walls for 40 units as opposed to four common walls for four units, right? Um, I, I would really like to, you know, step up, get something a little bit larger. Um, and, you know, I'm also considering, Kind of like special projects, right? So, the the, the other group that I kind of associate with is the Bar Three Hundred and Sixty Group, and they're out of Cincinnati, Ohio. So that's uh, Mike Ely and Nate Barger and Jerius. I don't know his last name, but Jerius is one of their key players. So I know a lot of people from their group, and they have a lot of people around the country who are doing different things. So, for instance, there's one girl who's in Detroit who does assisted living. Um, her focus has been on smaller properties and I'm trying to work with her on getting, you know, a larger property to do assisted living. And I, I, you know, I would be willing to help her take down, you know, that property. Like maybe she has a proper, I think she has a property with six beds in it now, but it's like there are opportunities around Michigan because of, you know, what happened in Michigan to pick up larger properties for not too much that you can use for assisted living. So to me, that's kind of like a special project, right? Partnering with somebody on a specific deal or specific type of deal um, that, you know, could work out for, for both of you, right? Now, it sounds it sounds like what you're describing is more of a JV approach as opposed to, say, you raising your own money, putting it into a deal that either you or somebody else found, 
and then becoming more of the syndication model. It sounds like you're more of like, I have my own money. I want to choose who I partner with and I want to be an active participant in the in the deal. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, we would still be looking probably for investors or JV partners to, to come along with us, you know, to help with that because, you know, you, you don't know what the raise is going to be until you actually run the numbers on the project. So, you know, we're definitely looking for people who could, you know, partner up or, you know, participate in a syndication. Right. Um, but it's a matter of, OK, let's let's beat the bushes a little bit. Let's find these special projects and then let's let's execute on them. Well, speaking of special projects, I know a little while ago, I noticed on uh, social media, you had made a, a couple of posts uh, that I caught about a hotel that looked like it was distressed, abandoned. It was close to a lake. Um, you were pretty excited about it from what I remember. And I was like, you dog. I saw you, I saw that you, you had that. And I was like, good for you, man. That is really cool. Um, because uh, as you know, with Andrea and Axel, you know, I've kind of jumped into the hotel conversion space as well. So I thought that was pretty neat. And then, you know, when we were kind of like exchanging pleasantries in the intro here, you mentioned that didn't end up coming together. Is there a story there? Yeah. So I was trying to take a page out of the Dashley playbook um, <laughs> and get a hotel. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And is, this your, is this your failing forward, Tony, or do you have a better one? Uh, this is probably my failing forward. Well, oh, you good. mean the section we always call failing forward. <laughs> And this failing forward is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. And I don't put it in. Like you don't. It's always the same one. Come on, I, I'm surprised Dennis haven't haven't hasn't like sampled all of these, so he can just pip, 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 failing, failing, failing forward. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, a little remix. There you let's, go. let's do that. Last time I tried to do something like that, it annoyed the shit out of Ted. So I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> do you remember? You, you made a remix. Yeah, but it wasn't for feeling for it. It was for when it is you were all my mess ups and Mike. No, you. It was for Mike Schlick. <laughs> That'd doing. be hilarious. I have those saved, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a blackmail folder actually with all of us in it. Oh, uh, that's funny. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Tony, tell us about your feeling forward. Something <laughs> that uh, you failed on, but there was a learning lesson at the end. Yeah, so I had, uh, you know, been been interested in the uh, hotel to multifamily conversion. You know, after you know talking with Andrea, meeting Andrea, listening to you know even her episode here on the podcast, and I said, oh, Andrea Foley, well, the tagger in our Andrea show Foley. notes. Um, so I said, oh. It seems reasonable, right? So end up going to my brother-in-law's house. They live down in Lake Mary, Florida. And he's like, yeah, there's this hotel around the corner. You know, it's been boarded up for years. It's like, you know, right on the lakefront and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, let's go by and check it out. <laughs> so we end up going by. We checked it out. It was 21 units. It was a cinder block construction. So, you know, it was, it, you know, it was in rough shape, but good shape, right? The bones were there, right? Good bones. Um, 
we walked the property. I think we made a second trip out, went with an engineer, went with somebody who's in the mastermind now, Ken, who's down in Florida. He accompanied us. He he has a he works for a contracting business there to try to get some initial rough numbers. So, you know, we, we came away with an idea of what we needed to do. We, you know, ran it through our underwriting tool and, you know, we came up with the price and we did submit an LOI on it. But the LOI was not accepted, right? It ended up, and I'm not sure where the deal is now. I haven't really followed up on it, but there was another offer that was put in that was about 200000 more than what we had offered. And the seller went with that. Um, but, you know, we, we, what we were able to learn from it is, you know, how to walk a site, how to look at what needs to be done, how to create a budget how to put that budget into your underwriting, how to basically come up with a price that you can pay and you're comfortable with paying and, you know, make your investors money um, and really not budging from that. Right. That's, that's a learn. You know, you see a lot of people who you know might be so desperate to get into real estate that, you know, they'll pay anything for a property, whether it's making money or not. So even though it was a fail and we did not get the property, you know, we stuck to our principles. Um, we were able to do solid underwriting, you know, we took our time and, you know, we put the L line, we like, this is what we can pay and that's it. But from that, you know, the, the, the tag on to that is, you know, I've been a little bit more diligent in underwriting other things. Um, I have been underwriting a bunch of stuff that's in Omaha in Lincoln and with the current situation with, you know, the interest rates, the insurance, the taxes, Deals are hard to pencil out right now, right? You, you run into a lot of people who, you know, even though, you know, they may have bought the property for 600000 they want to sell it for one point eight, even though the net operating income is showing that the value is only 1.2, right? They're thinking they can still get 2020, 2021 numbers, 2022 numbers, maybe even. Um, but the interest rates, the taxes, the insurance, you know, what I would have to pay being an out-of-state owner and probably most people would have, you know, some type of management. Um, it's just not supporting it right now. So, you know, I learned how to, you know, dig into my underwriting and really stick with the number that I come up with as this is what we can pay. Right. So, so my question is, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, how 2021, 22, 22 numbers, you know, the, the, that those prices are different. And every year our prices changed, you know, oh, yeah, I, I should have bought that last year. I should have bought that last year. So when you look at this failing forward, would you have paid that $200,000 more? Do you think that that property was really worth it or do you think they really stepped out? And the reason I, I, I go there is I remember listening to uh, uh, Barbara Cochran. She mentioned that she's paying uh, 10 to 15% over asking price on all the properties she's buying in New York and all this. And the reason that she was doing that is because of the, the appreciation game. She, she's like, I know it's going to appreciate so fast that I can pay, pay over asking price. But do you feel that if you would have paid the 200000 on this uh, property, that this would have been a good asset for you? Or are you glad that you didn't go that route? Uh, I think I'm glad that I didn't. And I stuck to my principles. Yes, properties do appreciate. Right. But you need them to at least cover their costs from day one. Right. And if they're not really covering their costs, then it's it it it, it puts you on a slippery slope to have more issues. Right. It, 
True. If you get into a property and you find out in month 12, hey, you know, I can't pay the taxes or I can't pay the insurance and or or something, you know, I can't do this repair because, you know, I went against what my underwriting told me. That's not a good look for you, you know, your investors who are, you know, either in, in a syndication or JVing on the deal, you know, they're not happy. And at the end of the day, you know, in order to get the next deal, you have to keep the people in the present deal happy, informed. You know, you, you want them to have that confidence in you. So, you know, they will come on to the next deal. I sat down with um, a bank yesterday, uh, Pinnacle Bank uh, here in Omaha. They're, you know, regional. A lot of stuff in the Midwest. And I've uh, met with a couple of other uh, Midwest banks that um, are man, they've really pulled in the reins on uh, stuff that they're willing to underwrite and put to loan committee. And rates have spiked to the point where, you know, we're at eight and a half for prime right now. So if you have a line of credit with a bank, you're probably going to be paying nine and a half percent to 10%, uh, depending. Um, I mean, it's, the game has changed yes. massively yes. and a lot of banks have really, um, you know, they've gotten to a point where they're, they want slam dunk deals so that if the commercial lender that you're taking the deal to, they have responsibilities to, yeah, you know, they have fiduciary responsibilities, but they also are incentivized a lot of times by, you know, making loans, right? That's how right. banks stay in business. Exactly. But a lot of banks after SVB collapsed and a lot of the other, uh, trickle effects from that and the dominoes that fell where a lot of other banks went under banks are like they're looking at their balance sheets and with the massive adjustments and interest rate risk that we've got now they don't want to get locked into things with you know and run the risk of being underwater on loans so they're underwriting very carefully and they're asking for a lot of stuff from potential borrowers so like the amount of documents that i have to send over uh to get underwriting done i mean it's literally everything like so I just have a folder created in Google Drive where it's got my personal financial statement, all my K1s, all my tax returns, all the like I have a rent roll, I have got a global overview of my en- entities, like who owns what where, right. just so that people have kind of a playbook and they can understand it cuz it's kind of alphabet soup if you're underwriting a whole mess of, you know, somebody's documents. Right. But I just it was interesting talking to those guys. Yes, this is just yesterday and they were um one of uh, our partners in uh, in our uh, Branson redevelopment deal is a surety group, which is a life insurance company. And so they put us through their underwriting before we even got to other banks to get underwritten. So we've been underwritten to the moon and back. And uh, they really like the project we have, but you have to like, you still have to sell it. And we sat down in person with them yesterday and they're like, we want to get to know who you are and hear your story and not just see your spreadsheets. Right. You know what I mean? They want us to sell them on the project. So that's that goes a long way when you're dealing with uh, you know, commercial uh, you know, lenders that they can pitch your story. You gotta have a compelling story. It can't just be an asset that's well, it can, I suppose, but if you just have an asset that's just your vanilla, regular run of the mill something, it's gonna be a lot harder sell. And your terms may not be as good, but man, it has changed a lot in the last you know several months with uh, with underwriting. So just keep that in mind when you're going out shop- shopping with commercial lenders. It's a it's they want more from you now. Uh, it's they're more careful with their underwriting. It's not auto approve on uh, you know any asset with twenty percent down. Right. It's you know they're they're pulling back on loan to value. 
They want you to have more equity in the deal. They don't want they want your DSCR, your debt service coverage ratio to be higher than uh, years past. So there's a lot of like what was a deal a couple of months ago may not be a deal now just because of the terms that you're going to be able to get uh, in a commercial deal. Now, the other thing I found was interesting not to get on a rant here, but um, a lot of people talk about non-recourse debt, which is, you know, Fannie and Freddie is typically your your two entities. And you normally can get a better rate with Fannie and Freddie. And the huge benefit is, like you were talking about earlier, getting something out of your LLC's name or or the personal guarantee uh, along with commercial assets typically. So if you go to a commercial bank and you get a loan, they're going to want your personal guarantee on that that says, hey, I Owen Dashner, I Tony Brown, I Ted Kosh, I Dennis Bertrand. We all personally guarantee this. So if this deal goes, if this this loan goes sideways, I'm going to back it up and I have assets that I'm going to pay out of my own personal stuff to cover the debt service on this, the monthly nut. Right. Um, and if you move it to Fannie or Freddie, they're really strict on underwriting. But the benefit to doing that is you don't have to personally guarantee it. So your your personal assets are not no longer at risk for a deal that you're getting into. That's the big benefit. But what's funny about Fannie and Freddie right now is our co-developer on this, Brett, he was like, yeah, I talked to these guys in there and I've joked about this before, but they're focusing on operational excellence right now, which if you read between the lines there, that just means like, yeah, we're not busy at all. Like we're not doing loans basically. So right. focusing on operational excellence is typically you're just like not busy and you're just trying to shore up your own business operation. Yeah. I tell you what, those Fannie, those Fannie made loans are really difficult when it comes time to selling the property. Because I, I have an apartment complex I'm trying to sell right now, and there's like I don't even remember what 1.1 million dollars of of that is on a one point is on a family uh, loan, and they're trying to sell for 1.4, and so people are trying to get trying to get a loan on the pro- property, and you got to assume that 1.1, otherwise there's a like a hundred plus thousand dollar oh prepay is that what you're talking uh, about fine that you got to yeah prepay fine yeah you have to pay if if you were to not do the family loan so you want to assume it but then there's a lot of people don't have the three, four hundred thousand dollars to throw out in cash to offset, you know, the difference of to the purchase price. Well, not only that, but a lot of times when you're when Fannie or Freddie are underwriting your borrower feasibility, they want you to have more in reserves than you typically would need with a regular commercial lender. Mm-hmm. So they may require, and I don't know because I haven't been through this, but so somebody can fact check me on it, but. It used to be you needed to have six months reserves at 70, 75% LTV for Fannie or Freddie. And it, that may have changed. It may be 12. It may be you know still at six. I don't know. But a lot of other commercial lenders aren't like that. So you got to, yeah, it's they're tight for sure. But if you can qualify for that debt, like you mentioned, Ted, you can assume those loans, but it's not easy to assume them. You can't just walk in and be like Joe Schmo with no reserves and expect to you know get a take down a, a Freddie assumable note and then um you know come up with uh, the gap funding on the backside mm-hmm. yeah right. so and the, and yeah the thing about it is like if you can't justify the underwriting they they certainly are not right so they're not going to do any favors no yeah so <laughs> you know when 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 you're underwriting something you got to say all right is this everything have i considered every scenario have i you know, been super conservative on this, right? And just to make sure that you have your ducks in a row. And and you know, with this change in market, I think a lot of sellers aren't getting it, aren't getting this yet. At, at the risk of having another failing forward, I was just looking at a uh, seventeen unit 
out in York, Nebraska. Again, it was a motel already operating kind of as a multifamily at a good price, right? I would say the price was good. What the seller didn't understand was my insurance was going to be eight times as much as what he was paying. He, mm. he, he gave me a T12 that did not have any repairs on it. So it was, it was like $0 for repairs. It, there was $0 for vacancy. It's like, I, I can't underwrite to this. You are the current seller slash owner. You stay on site. The people pay you in your office and I can't do that. You know, I have to get it insured for full replacement value, which is a lot more than what you're paying. I have to have a property manager because I would be an out-of-state owner. You know, the interest rate that you're paying on it is, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, I'm looking at at least 7%, right? So this is a good conversation, though, because like if you're underwriting a deal, you always people are like, oh, show me the T12 and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah, but that doesn't tell the whole story at all. Right. You know what I mean? Like you get you get that that financial info from a seller. To your point, they may be self-managing. They may be cutting their own, their own grass. They may be changing the light bulbs. They may be doing unit turns or cleans or both. Right. And or 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 worse, they may have just not put any money at all into the property over the last couple of years so that they can make their financials look really good. Right. You know, like, oh, zero, <laughs> zero maintenance expense. This property's a gem. And you're, what they're really saying is like, I've kicked the can on this crap. So it's going to be your responsibility to pick up the the slack on uh, on getting this thing back into shape. Right. And so, it, yeah, it, it's a good point uh, because that's something that gets overlooked a lot is like the translate the lost in translation thing between my asset and your asset. If you're buying it from me, your numbers may look completely different than mine because I'm operating my business a different way than you are. Exactly. Your business plan for you to execute on it requires you to have replacement insurance, whereas mine, I'm like, I'm going to have actual cash value. I'm not operated as a motel. You can do whatever you want with it, but my numbers are my numbers. That's what I want to sell it on. Right. And you're like, bro, these don't work for me. I'm buying it as a multifamily asset. I'm going to turn it into a long-term rental. I can't underwrite this. I got to have a property manager. I got this. And me as a seller, I'm like, okay, what's that mean to me? You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I'm curious though, like in a deal like that, do you push back and you say, Hey, this doesn't make sense because like, do you make your case on that? Or do you, are you just like, yeah, we're, we're operating like apples and oranges here. So I'm going to give you my offer, but I'm not going to waste the time and like trying to force, force this down your throat. Right. So, what, what's your thoughts? On that? Yeah. So what I ended up doing is, you know, there was obviously an agent in between. Uh, so I went back to the agent and, you know, explained to her all these different points and she took it back to the seller. And I was like, you know, I, I can't do what he's doing based on these factors. So, you know, either he's willing to lower the price or I can't buy the deal. So I haven't heard from them. So I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm well, assuming. I, you know what I like, though, Tony, is I like that you're you're putting offers out there and you're putting LOIs out there. And LOI, would you mind explaining briefly what an LOI is versus like, let's say, a, a purchase agreement for those that are more familiar with residential real estate? Right. So a purchase agreement is an actual contract to buy. And typically you put some money down behind a purchase agreement. Right. A letter of intent, LOI, is kind of lays out the terms. Right. Here's what I here's what I'm willing to pay. You know, my purchase agreement will be based on, 
this price and you completing these different things, right? You send me more information or, you know, I'm able to get an inspection and things like that. But, you know, you don't have to put out any money. It's kind of like you're opening a talking point with the seller. So you can say, I'm serious about this property, but we need to continue negotiating any points that you might have, any points that I might have. And then those points, once we come up to an agreement, that's what will be into the sale purchase and sales agreement. Yeah, it makes sense. But I, I do, I guess what I wanted to mention on this is that I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're taking action and putting out, you know, LOIs and purchase agreements, making offers on deals that work for you, your numbers, your underwriting of for your business plan. You don't, it's irrespective of whatever the seller is trying to do or has done with the property, right? So you're like, this works for me. Here's my offer, understanding that it may not work for you, seller, but here's where I'm at. Right. And you just got to do, you got to do a bunch of those. And one of them is going to come through that will probably be a killer deal. Right. And, and, and I think and, this is. And here's the thing Every, everyone who, you know, is kind of looking at the deal is asking for the same information, right? Asking for the same information. Mm-hmm probably doing same or similar underwriting. And, you know, some of them are probably just walking away and not responding at all. Right. If you, yes. if you put an LOI out there, it kind of tells the seller that, you know, you're serious and at least having a conversation with them about this property. And if they're not getting any other deals, like you said, you may end up getting a killer deal by being, you know, one of, you know, few who actually submits an LOI. Right. Well, I think it, it just separates you from the pretenders, right? So like they have 10 people looking at the property and you're one of three that make a, you know, make an LOI or an offer on it and they don't take yours. So let's say they accept another offer because it was higher and then maybe a couple of months go by and then let's say it falls out of contract. What are you going to do if you're the seller in that case? I know the first thing I would do is I'd have my agent contact the other two people that submitted LOIs on that and be like, you still interested? Because right. this fell through. Right. Where are you at? So I think you put a placeholder in the ground with your offer that says, I'm legit. So, uh, you know, everybody standing around me that's in the crowd right now, I'm raising my hand because when you come back to me 60 days from now, you see that I put my money where my mouth is. Right. And now you're you're at the table with a much smaller group of competitors. Right. So I that's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing about LOIs and offers is, your goal really should be not to get the property on the first offer. Like you don't want, it's a scary thing. A lot of times if you make an offer and people are like, yes, I'll take it. You're like, Oh shit, I paid way too much. You know what I mean? (laughs) So yeah. But what you want is you want a counter offer. That's what my, my whole goal with making offers is make me a counter. And if your number works with my number and you accept it, then I'm okay with that because generally I'm making low offers or at least offers that, if they accept, I will be 100% fine with it because my business plan underwriting fits that offer. Right. But yeah, it's never a good feeling when they're like, yeah, uh, I, yep, I'll take it. When are we closing? You're like, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, do, I, I do like that. I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's uh, one thing that you mentioned there about most people taking a look at it and they get the same numbers that you do and they just pass. They don't make an offer on it. Instead of making an offer that maybe it's embarrassing a little bit, or maybe you're like brokers, like, oh God, I don't want to submit that. Don't make me do that, please. But you do it anyway. And you're like, make an apologetic one. Be like, look, just tell them, I know this isn't going to work. This is where my numbers shake out. And good luck. You know, I know you're going to take another offer. However, if you don't, call me. And, and you know what and I mean? There, there may not be another offer, 
or they may be in exactly. a five, or they may be in a five year loan that they really don't want to refi, right? Yeah. So I I love I I love all that, and it's a great failing forward because you may very well get that hotel. You just don't know. Like right. I know it's probably been enough time where it's going to shake out to not be yours, but it may. You never know. Yeah. I tell you what, with working with the, in a lot of investor agents, you know, especially new ones will come in like, you know, I'm so sorry that we got to put this offer in. Da, da, da. You know, they feel bad because it's undercutting the price. <laughs> and you're like, if you only knew. Man. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, this is the business, man. And you know what? If somebody doesn't have the balls to step up and actually put the price out there, they're probably not a good investment real estate agent because they're used to it by now. I was looking at uh, I was looking at a uh, property in West Side School District. So in Omaha, like we have a really good school system called uh, West Side. It's where my wife which teaches. Dist- District sixty six. Ted uh, Ted's alma mater. Yeah. A lot of people like to live there. They want to they want to target homes that are in that uh, school district. And you know the the homes have gotten more and more expensive over the years, but they're still starter homes. You can still you know get in there under under two hundred grand if you put the work in. Uh, Brandon and I were looking at a house yesterday and it was listed for like 165 or something like that. 175, I think. And it was a three, two, um, you know, kind of like a starter slash move up level house, probably ARV of almost 300, mm-hmm. uh, after repair value. So like it needed a lot of work. It was a long-term rental for a dude. Tenants trashed it. There was a shitload of water in the basement. Like it was all the walls had mold on it. And it's one of those where all the walls are covered, so you can't tell what's going on behind there. You just have to guess. You know, you can't like rip the drywall or the paneling down and say, "Oh, well, that makes sense." There's, you know, a crack right there. You can't look at all that. Right. So you got to do your best guess and walk around the foundation and say, "Is there a disconnected downspout? Is the grading of the property incorrect? So water sloping into the house, like all those things. Like you can only do so much so of that." Much. Um, but we, we walked through it and we're like, God, man, you know, what if this is a, what if the foundation is Swiss cheese on these two sides? Cause we can't tell. So we just lowered our offer by like 30 grand and we made the offer and we just want to counter, like, let us know where we're really at because I guarantee you that is going to scare off a ton of buyers. So we're like, if it's $30,000 less than what we were going to offer and they actually accept it and we're taking the risk of not knowing what's behind those walls. I'm okay with that gamble because I know that I can ha- I can rebuild both of those walls for 30 grand mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, probably less. So that's what I guess what I'm saying is manage risk by reducing your capital outlay on your offers. And in a, an environment like this, the best deals are made, not uh, they're created, not bought. Right. right. You can't just buy a great deal off the market in general. You, you got to make them. You got to make them. And the, and the way you make them is by making offers and a lot of times by making creative offers. So I'm just saying this is the time where people are like, oh, I can't wait for a crash. I'm going to go out and buy everything. And then those people are the ones that are sitting on the freaking sidelines because no banks are loaning money. Uh, it's scary out there because the values are all over the place. Interest rates are up. This is the time we're describing like like three or four years ago when everybody's like, eh, I'm just going to wait until the market goes down. This is the time right now. Like there's a lot of uncertainty. So if you go out and you make moves and you're conservative about your underwriting, this is when you can accumulate assets that are going to make you rich. This is the point that you can become a millionaire. Exactly. Yes. Like and could it could this get worse? Yeah, of course. This what I'm just talking about could age very badly. Something could go like horribly wrong in the next few months. Wars could break out. Whatever. I don't know that, but if if we're operating under the information we have right now, there's so much uncertainty that you can go out and you can make offers on stuff and not be laughed out of the room. And you may actually get deals that you're like, holy shit, I never would have gotten that two months ago, three months ago, a year ago. Right. You know, right. Yeah, I do. Rant, rant over. That's not a rant. I mean, that's facts, right? So 
and, and that's yeah, I like that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I, I I love the moves that you're making though in multiple markets. So um, you know, kudos to you. When do you come to Omaha next? By the way, I said a couple weeks. Oh, a couple weeks. All right, so. Uh, well, maybe maybe can uh, make in time for our hundredth episode uh, party that we're going to be throwing. Boom! What is it? Uh, are you an, are, are you announcing? Well, it, I think this. I don't even know if this episode will be out by then. But, That's true. But yeah, so uh, September fifth, we're going to have our our party here in town for our hundredth episode and two year uh, event. It's going to be a Tuesday night, and it's going to be at the RIA event, and we're going to have a little little soiree. We're inviting everybody that's ever been on the podcast to come talk. Okay. So it should be fun. So September 5th? Yeah, you should come. Yep, September 5th. Book it. All right. Yeah, I need to come out there anyway. Check check on the uh, assets. You know, did, did I mention my assets in Fremont? Well, you, you, you mentioned it, but we don't know what it is. Yeah, what did you end up buying? So I ended up buying two fourplexes and a fiveplex out there. So I got 13 units out there. Oh, dang. 13 doors. Okay. Yep. So, you know, and was that all in one, was that all in one shot or did you buy them in separate deals? And two of them from one seller, right. And one from a different seller. Um, the two that came from one seller was a guy, I guess, who owned a bunch of properties out there who passed away. So we ended up buying the first property and then they had another property to sell. So we ended up buying the second property. Then I got a call one so, day. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so just to, um, for anybody listening to this that is not familiar with our neck of the woods here, where Tony is talking about is kind of a suburb of a suburb of Omaha. It's kind of like, uh, oh, I'd 30, minutes 30, min- 30 minutes outside of, of the west part of Omaha, which is the outskirts. So this is like a small town, but it's really pretty close. It's close enough to Omaha to where you still can get people that will go out there and you're not you're not relying on one property manager that's, you know, like 80 years old and lives with a farmer. And, you know, that's what she does part time. Like there's multiple options probably from Omaha that you could get. But there's a, lot, there. there's a lot of growth happening there. There like, is. They just had a Costco chicken plant that went in. So there's a lot of jobs there. But they... Um, it was just on the news the other day that they're actually offering rehab money uh, specifically for people that rehab uh, houses that are not to standard quality. What does that mean? Well, you know, that not to standard quality. Well, you know, the things are that, that need work, you know, so properties that need work, they actually have a special fund just for investors to come in and rehab properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did see that on the news. Yeah, yeah. I did. Not so there you go, that. Tony. Yeah, you got to put an application in, but but I think they said they got a couple million dollars. Uh, so just nice. for that fund, I would just start going out and making offers today. Yeah, probably you know, just blind, absolutely. If I were you, um, no, that that's awesome, man. So what uh, what's what's next for you? You mentioned uh, you're dabbling in the hotel conversion space, which feels like it's encroaching on me, but um, that's fine. And then you're looking in Omaha, multiple different markets. Uh, what what's uh, what's the Tony Brown plan here for uh, growing your your portfolio and your business over the next say ten years? Yeah, so I'm, I'm willing to partner in the hotel conversion space. You know, if anyone's interested. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying earlier, you know, I, I would like to get some larger um, properties. You know, I'm. I'm you know, I, I really like the Omaha, Nebraska area because I do see it still as a growing area. Like it's been growing steadily. You know, one of the things I checked in AI and it's kind of if you if you put in an area, it'll say 
this is the population of it. And you can see, and it's like Omaha, Nebraska has been growing since it started. <laughs> it's, it, it, it hasn't taken a year where it's turned down. So I would love to have, you know, some things in Omaha or Omaha area, right? It doesn't have to be in Omaha. Um, I would love to have a couple of special projects, you know, in different parts of the country, partnering with people who are, you know, experts in those areas or, you know, local to those areas. Um, and I think that's what, you know, the next few years is probably going to bring, you know, I'm going to keep underwriting and seeing what works and, you know, trying to go from there. Well, Tony, somebody just made me an offer on this building the other day. So, you know, maybe, maybe I should just sell to you instead. For the right price. Send me your T12, send me your rent roll and get rid of the the neighbors you got next door that you hate. I, that. <laughs> I, I actually uh, wow I got, shots fired i got an opportunity to buy those too right now there's an <laughs> offer in hand right now oh uh the one to my south you have an offer in on the building to no the south they, of this they, building. uh i talked to the owner and yeah there's a number out there that i can buy it okay I, i've you're i'm sensing you're hesitant to mention that number like are you not going to give him that number that he wants uh well i'm just saying that there's that he's open to selling, and I and I have communication with the owner. Mm-hmm. So he's negotiating. He's negotiating. I, I, he's working. I think well, right, if, right now Tony is texting him, putting in an LOI, just so you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm looking to partner with Ted. I can put that one in. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll put that one in the contract, and then I'll include it in the package deal. There you go. <laughs> Tony, we're talking about city inspectors and some funny things that have happened with uh, with Ted. We all like laughing his uh, his struggles. Um, what, what has happened, if anything to you, since you're buying stuff out of state, have you had any like weird or crazy situations that have come up? Um, well, actually either in state or out of state, like any, any, uh, crazy stuff in your investing career that, uh, has bubbled up. Right. So there's a couple of different things that happen, right? So I, outside of right outside of Pennsylvania, you know, Delaware is right to ourselves. So I actually own a property in Wilmington, Delaware, right? It was a property I bought probably, I guess I bought it during the turndown, right? And everybody was shedding houses. It was a house, I guess, the bank had foreclosed on or whatever. So I ended up picking up this property. It it needed a full rehab. And, you know, I was going down there on the weekends, working on it, rehabbing it and that kind of thing. So I'm going there one day and, you know, when you pull a toilet, you usually put something in the top of it, right? Put something in top of the uh, top of the stack. So I go in and I'm like, hmm, I know I had something in the stack here, you know, kind of keeping the sewer gas from coming in. Like, I wonder what the heck happened to it. So, you know, we're working, working. All of a sudden, a rat comes out of the stack. <laughs> oh, man. And my son is there. I'm like, hey, it's a rat. So, you know, we, we had cut open the floor. So the rat actually, I guess, jumped from the second floor down to the first floor. And I guess he ran out the front door. Um, Tony like, Jr. scared as hell. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was a lot younger then. And, you know, I'm like, all right, we're done for today. And so <laughs> we were done for today. It went home. That was the first time that ever happened. So that, that was interesting. It was like, uh, you know, what am I doing? You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I living right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, a funny thing uh, that happened in one of our Fremont properties, like, kind of like as soon as we bought it, you know, it, the, the, one of the fourplexes, really nice fourplex, has a basement unit and there was someone living there that was under lease. And then I guess they moved out and just let somebody else move in. So we had a 
pretty much a squatter right away, you know. So, you know, think, things are different, you know, lo looking at red states and blue states. Um, the property manager went over there and knocked on the door. I guess the person kind of yelled out, hey, I'm in here. Blah, blah. He was, she was like, uh, well, I'll be back with the police this afternoon. Um, mm. So by the time she got back, he had vacated. So that was kind of interesting versus when I ran into a squatter over in uh, one of my properties in Philly, you know, he, we, we had just fixed the place and, you know, may have been vacant for like a week and, you know, got it up on the market. I go there and he's there and he's trying to get me to go inside with him. I'm like, uh, no, nah, I don't think I'm going inside with you. So I left, called my property manager and she went and she threw the person out. So, you know, you, you end up running into these crazy things, but the rat took the cake, you know, that, that ended all work for the day. It's like, I'm not dealing with a rat. Um, <laughs> I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he's going. I don't think he's been back, but the, the house is rented now and is probably, you know, one of our, you know, more steady properties. Well, all, all the properties are actually steady now. So they're, you know, steady. You mentioned Tony Jr. Um, and, and then Leslie, your wife, uh, we, we brought briefly, but with, you know, especially when you're balancing working at Wells Fargo, doing these investments, traveling, like how did you kind of balance that work life, family life, especially when your son was younger? Like, like how did, did you guys have kind of a plan where you're like, Hey, this is family time or this is, we do family dinners. Was there any type of work life, family life balance that you were able to work out there? It wasn't too bad when he was younger, because again, you know, I, I owned a couple properties and I wasn't, I didn't have the investor hat, hat on yet, right? It was more or less the landlord hat, which is just, you know, I have a house, I'm holding it, I'm collecting rent, you know, not really doing, you know, too much of the stuff that I do now, you know, tons of underwriting and, you know, visiting different cities and stuff like that. So it's actually pretty easy um, as he was growing up. Um, you know, now my wife, she kind of looks at me sideways. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm going to Omaha for a week and a half. I'll see you later, you know. So, you know, she kind of looks at me kind of funny, but you know, she, again, she, she knows the folks that I'm going to visit out there. So, you know, she, she doesn't mind too much. Uh, and speaking of work life balance, you know, I have to give my wife her kudos. She just finished up her doctorate and she's working. So her life work balance has for the past. Tony has got a sugar mama. Yeah. <laughs> Her life worth balance for the past couple of years have been a little bit more off than mine. You know, she just finished, she defended the other day um, her, you know, doctorate chair. He said, okay, we're going to confer you. I guess the graduation is wow. technically not until next June or May, but, you know. Con congratulations, Leslie Brown, by the way. There you go. There you go. So now we say, is there a doctor in the house? And she can say, yeah, yeah I'm a doctor. <laughs> awesome. So, but, you know, that, what an accomplishment. Yeah. And, and, and my son, uh, you know, when he was growing up, he played baseball um, mm -hmm. pretty heavily. So most of my time, since I wasn't really an investor then, you know, we, we did a lot of traveling. He did travel ball. So going to different states on the weekend. And, you know, that was a blast, you know, something that I, that I really miss. We're actually, actually, uh, Terry, I think maybe you guys met Terry, maybe not, but that's the guy I typically stay with when I come out to Omaha. He's coming in to visit his brother this weekend. We're going to see, uh, Philly's Royals. So we're going to all go to a baseball game. Me, my wife, my son, um, my wife's coworker, Terry, um, my grandson who's into baseball now. So we're going, 
going to the game Saturday night. So I had the privilege of, uh, you know, meeting Tony Jr. We, we all went out for cigars and some old fashions uh, that one time. Yeah, I mean, how how did you get him interested in real estate? Because there's a lot of us that have kids and we, we love to have them kind of step in our footsteps because we know how much potential there is in real estate investing. Was that something that he was always interested in or is that something that just kind of uh, happened at the end, surprisingly? He kind of developed his own interest and, you know, even though he hasn't really read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, I guess by looking at me and his uncle, my brother, as examples of what we're doing and him realizing that, you know, a lot of people that he knows who, you know, have, you know, completed college, you know, now they're in these day-to-day work things. You know, he really wants something different. You know, he wants to have that passive income. So he kind of developed that interest, I guess, through his environment. And then, you know, obviously I turned him on to several podcasts and things like that. So he, you know, he listens to Bigger Pockets. He, he's very handy. You know, he's kind of like, you know, the guy who likes to do projects and things like that. So, you know, while he's out doing projects, you know, he's listening to different podcasts and, he, you know, sometimes he comes back and gives me ideas. Right. So I'm like, wow, you know, that's pretty neat. You know, so he's kind of like, you know, kind of picked it up on his own. So I'm, I'm proud of him in, in being interested in something, number one, that I'm doing. And number two, something that, you know, he can kind of do on his own and kind of build his future. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's always one of our goals that one of the kids kind of step in our footsteps, but I love the fact that he's so interested in what you're interested in and that you're the way you're bringing him up. So, man, I just want to get, lift you up and give you some props for that. Yeah. And like I said, you know, he's, he's pretty handy. So, you know, a lot of things that, you know, anytime when I'm going out to a property, you know, he wants to go just about any project that I've done, you know, he wants to help with and he's learned a lot because I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat hands on too. I'm pretty handy. You know, I can work on most of your systems in a house, framing, drywall, painting, you know, put in my fair share of water heaters, change out a couple kitchens and that kind of thing. So he watches, uh, he participates, he learns and, you know, he goes out and he, you know, does it on his own. You know, he works with a uh, task rabbit. Not sure if they have task rabbit out there in Omaha, Never but you know, he's one of the top, rated taskers in the area and he always gets repeat business from different people and they always tip him well. So, you know, they're always happy with his work. He's got his own set of tools and, you know, he, he, he loves building stuff and working on stuff. Yeah. Task rabbit, uh, Tony, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically it's a, it's a, like a job board. So you can say clean up branches in the yard, I'll pay a hundred bucks. Right. And then you put it out there and then people are on that portal and they'll just log in and be like, I like odd jobs. So I'll take that job and I'll do it for a hundred bucks. Right. Like similar to like Thumbtack. Yeah. Thumbtack is also out there for contractors. That's more like, I, I would say that's TaskRabbit's probably your general, you know, handyman and cleanup stuff. But I'm, I could be wrong here, but, and then like Thumbtack is more like your regular contracting remodeling type work. I'll learn something new today. There you go. Golden There's nugget. Well, golden nugget. Hey, well, before we get an OT, I got I got one last question for you. Uh, Owen and I got the privilege of going with you to BPCon 2021 in New Orleans. And uh, I think it was a great bonding experience for us. Plus, we had an, just an amazing group out there. Um, and, uh, and we've all been on a, a group thread ever since then where we all message each other and check in on each other and hold each other accountable, which has been really fun. But I know that we're all going to BPCon 2023. Are we going to see you down there? I'm there. 
I booked mine the Good. day it came out. Yep, so I did too. Nice, man. I, I will be there. There's also uh, Jake and Gino, which is two days before BPCon starts. I yeah, I know Schlicks are going to be down at that one. Yeah, so I'll be there, and then I'll be over at BPCon. Like I said, my uh, my in-laws, they live in Lake Mary, so I'll probably be there a few days before and a few days after. And they look at a couple of projects with uh, my brother-in-law down there. He wants to buy a uh, place down there. I guess it's a, a batting cage, like a little golf thing, and you know it has like a food stand on it. So he's interested in buying that. So I'm sure I'll end up looking at that while I'm down there. I'm also, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm doing trying to do special projects with folks around the country. So one of the people I met at Burr 360, she actually builds houses in Jacksonville. So I made a little investment with her. So I'll probably visit some of the uh, construction sites up in Jacksonville while I'm down there. And, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing you guys at, at BPCon, but looking forward to seeing you guys maybe uh, next month for, you know, in September, you know? Yeah. I have a great all you can eat place that's there in Orlando. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, to keep that in mind, do another group uh, group dinner there. Are you going to be staying at the hotel or do you have a place booked out yet? Um, so I was lucky enough to get a hotel right next to the hotel where BB Con is okay. at, at an amazing rate. <laughs> There's like a Marriott down the street from this Marriott. There's a group of us that got a place. Uh, it's on Airbnb, and it's a like an eight bedroom, twelve bed unit, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it, it's booked out unless unless Dennis and Owen don't take a room. But uh, we we tentatively have a room saved, but we have the whole place booked out otherwise. I didn't take it. It's up for you. Buddy. Okay, there you go. Austin called me yesterday. Oh, so. did he? okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's got a it's got a, it's got a pool inside the place, and uh, yeah, it's a big place. Big. We got a lot of people standing there. It should be a good time. Right. I mean, I'll definitely come by, but like I said, I, I got a place booked out already that's right across from where the kind is. You know, I'll have a car, so I'll be able to make my way around. Awesome. Look forward to it. Cool, man. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you down there again and maybe next month as well. Yep. Uh, well, Teddy, we're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. Tony Brown, Uh-oh. this has been fun, man. Yeah. We got some questions for you. Rapid fire style. You ready for these bad boys? I'm ready. Coming at you. All right. First one for you, my man, is what will your first book be titled or about? I think my first book will be maybe titled Finding Partners because that's that continues to be a, a challenge of mine. Mm-hmm. Right. I would like to, you know, have partners that want to, you know, that, that want to do their piece. You know, people call them like puzzle pieces or their, their segment or whatever that they specialize in. It's hard to find consistent partners, right? You, you hear a lot of people that say, oh yeah, I want to invest in real estate. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, ends up being difficult. Like I would love, love, love to have, you know, somebody to partner with consistently that's out in the Omaha market, who's, you know, really, really interested in real estate. And, you know, so fi- finding finding partners would probably be, be my book, How to Find One. I don't I don't know how yet. So it's still unwritten. But, you know, <laughs> I'll read that one just so you know. There you go. <laughs> if you could interview anyone in the world today that's alive, who would it be? And what question would you like to ask them? Oh, man. So. Going going back many, many years. Right. And, you know, I probably talked to Denlis about this a little bit. You know, I've always been a music guy, 
And so I would like to interview Quincy Jones, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's a guy who's been successful over at least six decades in doing what he loves to do, right? Mm -hmm. He's been producing music for the likes of Frank Sinatra all the way up to, you know, the, the, the latest rappers, right, on his different albums and, and produced movies and soundtracks for movies and things like that. And, you know, some may have heard of this other guy that he produced for named Michael Jackson. Not sure. He's kind of an obscure character. But, you know, that's <laughs> he, he's just a typical favorite musician, by the oh, way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I started out in music as a kid and I was always interested in what different People were on albums, what parts they played. Again, going back, I guess, to that finding partners kind of theme, right? Um, what they did, what they contributed, and you know how they ended up with the end result that they ended up. And if you listen to, I guess, the body of work that Quincy Jones has completed, you know, in his lifetime, he just had his 90th birthday party. Um, you know, it's just amazing, right? If, if I can do that in real estate or, or at least, you know, at least a quarter of what he's done, you know, it'd be great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the next question for you, Tony, is who would you choose to give your eulogy and what do you hope that will say about you? Um, I'd probably choose my son to give my eulogy. And, you know, the, the, the only thing that I would hope that he would say about me is that, you know, I've been there for him and there with him. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, he played baseball and we've, you know, been on the baseball journey all around different things. He also likes to cook and he's very good on the grill. So he's, you know, he, he likes to say he can cook better than I can now. <laughs> so he's, he stood by me and, you know, his, his thing that he likes to make is pulled pork. And I don't know how many times he messed up a pulled pork mm -hmm. and called me, what should I do? You know, and, you know, the fact that he also likes real estate, you know, just, you know, the bond that we have together, you know, kind of makes us, you know, kind of like a pair, you know, we're always in unison, you know, we like a lot of the same things. We laugh at the same jokes and, you know, that kind of thing. So he probably, give a good eulogy and say, Hey, you know, my dad was a good guy and you know, he's always been there and he showed me a lot of things. Love that. Love that. Tony, what mentor in your life has had the biggest impact on you and how they influenced your career or personal growth? Wow. So mentors, I, I mean, I would have to say my mom and my dad, like they wow. are, or they were right. Cause they both passed away last year. Um, I'm sorry, man. Two, two different kind of styles of people. Like my dad was a guy who, you know, as it, it's, it's kind of funny because when someone dies, you learn more and more about them, right? So he was always a guy who was about service, like helping others. And he was always the guy who was kind of like steady, right? He'd get up, go to work every day. You know, he worked for you know, the Department of the Navy. And he worked there for, I don't know, since probably before I was born until he retired. Um, but, you know, real, real steady guy. My mom, she was kind of the adventurer. I get kind of get my adventurous side from her. Um, you know, but they both showed me, you know, hard, steady work, right? Um, be an explorer, 
right? Be a little bit adventurous. And, you know, my mom was always on education. You know, we, 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 me and my brother used to hate it, but we used to have homework in the summertime. But, you know, when, you know, looking at, you know, where my brother and I are now, you know, you could see that, you know, that hard work paid off. So, you know, between the two of them, you know, I can't give, you know, I, there are other people who are influences, right? But the people that you see every day in your house kind of making that example, you know, we sat down every day for dinner together and, you know, we would talk about our day and that kind of thing. You know, they were really <clears throat> influential on, you know, the person I become, the person my brother's become, you know, and, and you know, he he's very different from mine. Like, he's probably more adventurous like my mom. You know, I'm probably more steady like my dad. But, you know, we both have traits of both, both of them. Love it, man. So you mentioned previously that you're looking for partners. Um, this is the section where we always ask, what are you looking for in your business? And how could somebody catching this episode potentially connect with you, help you um, become your partner? What are you looking for in a partner? Right. So I would <clears throat> I would love to have a partner who, you know, specific to Omaha, right? Since this is going to be on the Omaha Rio radio, someone who's there on the ground. Oh, this is Worldwide I know. Radio, radio. It's worldwide. Not Omaha Radio, right. Tony. I know. I know. Um, but I would love to have somebody in Omaha who's on the ground who, you know, has the has more connections than I can make being out of market, right? Um, you know, I, I can come out there two, three, four times a year, but you know, you, you don't know everything unless you're there every day, right? It's kind of like kind of like learning a language, right? You don't fully know the language unless you grew up in the language, right? You, you may become decent in Spanish or decent in French, but, you know, there'll always be those, those few, you know, phrases. You're like, oh, what's that? You know? So if I had somebody kind of like, you know, kind of a consistent partner on my team who's actually in the Nebraska market or even Midwest market, right? Nebraska, Omaha, Kansas, Missouri market, you know, that will be, <clears throat> that will be a great help. Um, you know, I'd still come out, I'd still, you know, participate, do a ton of underwriting, help out with, you know, getting property managers in place and things like that. And, you know, putting business plans together, but, you know, having somebody there would be awesome. And if they wanted to get in Good touch, stuff, you know, we, we do have our website, brownpropertyassets.com. There's a link on there to send us a note, but, you know, anybody who wants to just send a direct message can do so at, Tony Brown Sr. That's Tony Brown SR at brownpropertyassets.com. And, you know, I'll get right back to him. Awesome. Dennis has a question for you. So when you were a young Tony Brown. An itty bitty Tony. Okay. A brown, a brownie? <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd workshop that a little more. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> So when you were younger, um, Tony, what did you want to be when you grew up? I would guess that you wanted to be a musician. I did. But that's my guess. I did. I, I wanted to be a musician. I, I started playing piano when I was five. Played for a long time. I, I, can barely, I can barely play now. It's been so long since I played. But coming up, you know, I, like I said, took piano lessons, did some studio recording. I was a DJ through high school and college. Um, what was your DJ name? Uh, Mixmaster T. 
Mix Master T. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I bet I'm going to hear that a lot now. <laughs> uh, well, to, but yeah, I, 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 I will be the guy reading the back of the album to see who was playing on it and that kind of thing. You know, I, I like love music even till today. You know, love different styles of music. Similar to food, I listen to music from all around the world. Um, doesn't have to be, you know, anything in English or, you know, just anything I find that, you know, flows my boat, right? Mm. I understand. So rumor has it that you were an extra in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Is that true? What? West Philadelphia, what? born and raised. I was not. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> well done, gentlemen. But, 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 no. but, I, but I was born, I was born actually in Southwest, which isn't far from where actually Jazzy Jeff grew up. And, you know, some, some of those guys, you know, actually knew, you know, he kind of ran in the DJ circle when I was in the DJ circle in Philadelphia. Um, but both of those guys did. Nice. Yeah. He wasn't partying with Will Smith, okay? Uh, I mean. He wasn't getting jiggy with it. <laughs> it's, it, 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 and it's funny because during, during the same time period where I guess you know rap was first starting to take its hold, you know me and my best friend Chris, who's like a brother, he's still my best friend. You know we would go to the studio. He would rap. I would do the music. We had girls who sang, so it was kind of like we were almost ahead of our game, right? Because rapping with singing in it didn't come around until really late 80s, 90s, right? But we were doing that in the early 80s. We would go to the studio, record our songs, you know. We had a guy who played guitar, so we had guitar solos in it. You know, it was kind of like we were probably about five, six years ahead of our time, you know, as far as, you know, being able to get picked up for a professional contract. Maybe, Tony, you can send us a track and we can we can conclude this podcast with uh, with your track plan. There you go. I, I got a. I, you know what? I there's a, and I don't. I don't know where my cassettes are. I, I got a couple cassettes upstairs. But a girl who sang with us, she has them all. Um, so I have to go over her house and get this tape deck that one of my other friends has that has a USB connector on there. Kind of. Did, did you guys ever have a laser disc player? Yes. Yes. You I, did. I, you I, actually had one. I had a buddy that had one. It was like he was the holdout. He's like this is new technology. Like this is going to replace all of whatever you have going on over there. Loser. And I was like, Oh my God, those are so nice. Was, I'm, They're I'm, expensive. I remember when I did photography, I had, the, I had the cam camera that had the mini CD drive that went in it. Oh, the, yeah. The one that was like that big or whatever. Yeah. And I, and I was like, I thought I was the king shit from having this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, so late. Do you remember laser disc? Yes. Was? He'd have no idea what we're talking about. Laser disc were like a giant CD. They're, they're, they're like the size record. of an album, right? Yeah, you you put the whole thing in like a tray and it go it'd go in. It was like a giant school, CD or the DVD. schools here used them all the time. Yeah, and they were like going. That was like the thing. Like this, everything's going to Laserdisc. I don't know what you idiots are doing over there with yeah. these Betamax and uh, you know A-tracks. VHS tapes, but Laserdisc is where it's at. And then one of my buddies had one. He had like all these movies. I mean, he invested some dough into this, like because they weren't cheap either. You would buy yeah. movies and they were like I don't know eighty bucks or something for a laser. Yeah. It's crazy, but, but and then like we're like, yeah, no, we decided not to do that. I think we're just going to do D- DVDs. And he's like, damn it! But, but, <laughs> so he saw all these like laser disc players at like the pawn shops. 
<laughs> yeah, but who was it like Columbia that had that thing where you can order? You know, it used to be you, yeah. you know, ten albums for a penny. But so they also Columbia House or BMG. They had both. Both of them had. So they those. had laser discs. Yeah. You know, I would go in there. You know, get my ten laser discs and then order. You know, the five. You know, one <laughs> that you had to order after that, and you know, build dude. It. I had one. I had a buddy of mine that signed up for like a whole bunch of those, like BMG and whatever, and you would get like you know, one cent and you get like 20 albums or whatever, but there, the hook on it was like, then you signed up for their like subscription. So you paid full price for like the rest of your life yeah. for albums that were like $40 exactly. for a cassette tape or whatever. And he like had to get his parents to bail him out because like they were coming after him. I mean, they were sitting there <laughs> like Matthew Grams. He's like 16 years old or whatever. He's like, I don't know what's going on, man. I just, want, I just wanted the new run DMC album. And then like, <laughs> He's getting all these letters from attorneys from BMG. Everybody that's 35 and under right now has no, no idea what no. you guys are talking about. Just Google Denless, it. This was good times. Dennis's eyes are so yeah. big right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like Napster. I'm going to tell you what the sad thing is right now, right? The quality of recordings has gone through the roof, but the quality of systems to play them back through have not. They're, they've gone down, right? We used to have systems that had, you know, Real speakers, right? Decent speakers. Now every speaker is like, you know, a small speaker with, you know, what struggles to be a woofer, right? So you don't get that full fidelity. But the quality of yeah, it's like every everything's combined. It's like it, and it's also a refrigerator or a lawnmower or whatever. You know what I mean? There's like all these all in one things. Like you, there's refrigerators now that are like TVs, and they can make you know they can microwave stuff for you. Like they'll tell you when you need to order more. Uh, tampons or whatever. Like I don't tampons. <laughs> really, really. You need to order. Them. I want to include the female element in this too. Jeez, I got four dudes here. Um, it, you know what I mean, females. Uh, <laughs> please edit this out. Uh, he's leaving it. Dang it. Well, uh, with that. <laughs> good job, Ted. Good job. With that. Tony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Long overdue. Um, we appreciate you. It was so great to get to know you, you know, years ago when you when you first came to Omaha, supporting our local RIA group, coming to BPCon, becoming a friend. And uh, so I, I just want to thank you for that. Thanks for the awesome content today. Um, and I, I think that people are going to learn a lot from you. And the talks about partnerships, I think, is a strong conversation here. So uh, I appreciate that. Right. And uh, right. listeners, if you listen to us for the first time or the 98th time, please leave us a review on your favorite uh, podcast listening format. But uh, no longer Stitcher, RIP. Yeah, man. Rest in peace. Uh, but if uh, also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate a five star review on there. Uh, as at the time of reading this, we have 95 reviews. Podcast 100 is just a couple away, and we want to be at 100 five-star reviews when this uh, happens. But we do have a handful of written reviews that have just flooded in. Uh, so I'm going yeah, to... I wonder. I w- I'm going to... Flooded re- in. Yeah. yeah, I got a ton of them that came in on Friday. So one says, great content and banter. Um, and then Kim P says, I have learned so much from you guys and your guests. I appreciate the variety of trades, methods, styles, and target markets. Thanks so much for giving back to the community, Kim P. So thank you, Kim, Thanks, for doing Kim that. Thanks, Kim P. You're the best. And with that... Owen Dashner, will you dash us out? On behalf of Rio Radio, Dennis Bertron, and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Tony 
if I can't buy a property in Spain, I will buy one in Fremont, Nebraska. Brown. Signing off. Also, Mixed Master T. I'm going to include that in there. <laughs> My homage. Wooka, wooka, wooka. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>